Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. W-P-H-A-T. You're listening to the number one health and wellness podcast, the place where health and consciousness connect. Perfectly, Perfectly healthy, healthy and tone, tone radio, radio with your host, Darren McDuffie. And now prepare to get fat. What's cracking, peeps? Darren McDuffie here, alias Fat Man, helping you become perfectly healthy and toned and conscious, of course. You're listening to episode 154 with Andrea Sapienza entitled Food Speaks. Be quiet and listen to it. Well, I guess I'm starting off this podcast today just a little bit of true confession. So most of you who have been following the podcast know that I haven't really done a podcast within the last, think, a year and a half or two years. I got really busy at work. And then the start of 2021, January 21, 2021, I had a life changing event. I ended up having a stroke and I spent a couple of months rehabilitating from the stroke and also rehabilitating my hand as well. And during that time, I've always said to myself that nothing happens to you. Everything happens for you. And while that time of rehabilitating and going through all that I had to go through to get myself back on track, I decided to that I needed really need to concentrate on a more men's issues. At this point in time, I feel like the male energy in our society really needs some healing. And I'm waiting, ready to move to a new platform called the Heal Platform. Everything heals when we allow it. So this is my last podcast on Perfectly Healthy and Tone. I started this podcast in 2014. It is my baby. But like I said, everything is evolving. Everything grows and it's time for me to move on and do something I would think, again, more male specific. And for those of you who are listening to the podcast, a lot of the stuff will be for males, but a lot of stuff is be, will be universal as well. So you can continue to listen. I encourage your, your comments. I encourage your feedback on the new platform and any of your comments and feedback. Um, once you listen to this, this podcast, you're crazy to reach out to me and just give me some feedback. That's all I asked for. But again, I wanted to thank you for listening to my podcast. This was my baby. So I started this in 2014 and it has been quite a journey. So now let's get into Andrea Sapienza's bio. And thank you again for listening to the Perfectly Healthy and Tone podcast. Andrea Sapienza is a registered nurse turned functional medicine geek. Ten years ago, she transformed her health by ditching the standard American diet. As a result, she was able to get rid of high blood pressure, digestive issues, and depression. In addition to changing her diet, she also changed her mindset to make her changes permanent. Andrea Sapienza, welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. How are you? I'm wonderful, Darren. Thanks for inviting me on your podcast. Thanks for coming on. I thought that this would be a fun podcast to do since you are a registered nurse. And my obligatory question to everyone who comes on Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio is, how did you start your health journey? Well, I love the story because 
I'm just so normal. And I really hope that people can relate to my story. Primarily, I was kind of cruising along in my middle years, moving into my 40s after what seemed like a relatively uneventful and normal um, teens and 20s and even early 30s. But maybe in hindsight, I had a little bit more lack of health than than I initially thought. So just problems like uh, mononucleosis when I was in high school, chronic strep in um, college, things like that. that, uh, And then ultimately, really um, significant bout in my 20s and 30s with infertility. But really, nobody ever pointed it out as problematic. It just seemed like uh, what happens in life. And so we kind of took that as it was and cruising along, having a career. Uh, My husband and I adopted two older children um, internationally and ultimately increased our stress level a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, yeah, and, and then kind of failed to manage it really well. And ultimately, I ended up in a health crisis. And the primary manifestation was uh, that I quit sleeping. (laughs) So that was pretty much a deal breaker for moving forward in, um, in life. And I sought help from traditional allopathic medicine, and I didn't tolerate the typical sleep aids. I was either groggy or um, or not sleeping at all. I just I just wasn't getting relief and ultimately found myself at my gynecologist's office who had a little bit more of a holistic approach. And she tested me, tested my hormones, which were basically, you know, a, I was kind of flatlined. And um, but she also randomly checked for the presence of gluten antibodies. And lo and behold, I was positive for gluten antibodies. Mm-hmm. And she mentioned this in passing in a, in a, um, in a visit where she was giving me my result. And it was, what year was this? 2012. This was 2012. And I had also begun to have some gastrointestinal symptoms. So it wasn't completely a surprise, but uh, I, this was still pretty early on in, in gluten-free. Uh, but it, products were available. And so I did what I think any under-informed person does when they become aware that they are gluten, at least gluten-sensitive. Um, at the time, I didn't know, and actually still don't know, if I'm celiac, and uh, we can kind of come back to why I say I still don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, ultimately, I just kind of think it doesn't really matter for in, in my particular case. In my particular case, but so I just went to the grocery store and got all of those gluten-free replacement products, right. and. Uh, I've, I've, I've listened to your podcast and I have heard other guests say the same thing and uh, ultimately paid close enough attention to what was going on in my body to realize that there was far more potential for improvement taking those processed foods out as well. So they were just a, a, a poor replacement for a nutrient poor food to begin with. Uh, but of course, I didn't know because that was this dietary guidelines are healthy whole grains and so I just switched to healthy gluten-free grains. And at some point, I was really struggling for how to, how to make some progress. And, you know, had had a little bit of insight into the gluten-free versus no grains and just started to really look deeply at food. And I, I, had, to, I had to really plug into myself in a way that I feel like I never had uh, and start listening to my body. And I just kept hearing, be quiet, just be quiet. And I didn't, it took a while before I realized what that meant. 
And what that meant was your body's trying to tell you, but I'm just too busy. My mind is too busy. I'm otherwise too busy. And so I, I, I literally got stopped in my tracks and was forced to get really quiet. And it, it, it really came clear to me, it came through very clearly that the bulk of the progress I was going to make in my healing was going to be through food. And I just knew that allopathic medicine, that a pharmaceutical solution was not, not going to work for me. Mm. So I, uh, I told my husband, I said, I, I think that we need to take all the money that we are going to potentially spend on medicines trying to get me well and spend it on food. And the trooper that he was, he said, okay. And it was not a nominal fee. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It was not. Now, I will say that there's been much, much, much progress made. And I feel, I feel, I have such a sense of peace for how we spend our money um, and, and the food that we choose to purchase. Uh, but it was a leap of faith, certainly at the time, because it was not inexpensive. I didn't know how to do it on a budget. And I, I, I mean, I just, it, it was, it was dramatically different, but it was not long before we started seeing significant improvements yeah. and, and, and primarily in food and thus began kind of this continuing journey. Hmm. Well, that's uh, that's just, uh, quite an interesting journey, and I always I think I heard someone say this: is that you're either going to pay now or pay later when it comes to food. So you're either yes. going to pay for the good food now or pay the doctor later. So I yeah. always kind of live by that. Let's kind of rewind and go back. You said that as a child, you had I think you said you had mono, and then you had uh, strep for a while when you were in college. Was that your catalyst for getting into nursing? Because I find that a lot of people, when they have these health struggles, it's either like they start you know, going towards the medical industry or they start doing their own research and really looking to see, you know, what's causing these things. But what's, was that your catalyst for actually going into nursing? Well, that would be a really lovely story, but um, that's not the case. <laughs> I, um, you know, I, nursing was divine for me. I, I really was at a loss for kind of what I wanted to do. And I knew a couple of people who were nurses and I was, I was always the one who, if somebody was hospitalized, I was digging through the drawers and the side tables and, you know, pressing buttons and just trying to figure out what all was what. And I just was curious. And it was something that intrigued me enough that, and that I could, kind of tactile learn in a way that felt meaningful to me. So it really, it didn't unfortunately have anything to do with uh, kind of my health challenges. I don't really recall being aware that my health challenges were significant. They were just inconvenient, but they, nobody was really giving them much attention, quite frankly. It seems like you had a period of awakening because I know when people go into the medical field, my sister's in the medical field as well. She's also a registered nurse. But, and I remember she came into doing that through my mom being sick and then eventually passing away. My mom was in the hospital due to cancer and my sister was the primary caregiver. I'm like, I don't know what to do. So, so you, you, and she kind of took on that role. And then before you knew it, she decided to become a nurse and now she's a registered nurse. But, 
what when you got into the nursing fields, it seems as though they teach you one thing and then you had this period of awakening. When did you start to awaken and say, you know what, maybe there it's not all about using drugs. It might be more uh, food related and I need to change my diet. Yeah, that really happened once I really hit my kind of health crisis, hit that wall. I think there was always a little bit of a kind of a holistic bent to me. I, I kind of liked going in to my local health food stores and I liked the way it smelled. I liked just the earthiness of it. So I always had that draw to nature and to a sense of something bigger and more powerful. But it, 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 it really started settling in for me when I started connecting to my food. Really, it's, it's really when I started connecting to my food. And I did that through, I'm, I'm so fortunate to live where I do. Um, I live in uh, Central North Carolina where we have access to, I really think that, and I could be wrong, there could be other places that are, are as glorious, but this feels like food heaven to me. There are every farmer growing everything in all the right ways at my fingertips. So most of what I buy, particularly my meats, I buy directly from my farmer. So I plugged into what's really going on. Um, you know, I had to kind of do that whole look at what is kind of the overwhelming perception of a healthy diet. I, I had to look at that and, and, and dissect that for myself. And that included that, and that's a tough one. That's a super tough one. People come to me all the time. They say, I'm so confused. I don't even know where to begin. Yeah, let me, let me jump in here because I want to ask you a quick question about yeah. that. You are a nurse mm -hmm. and did you know what a healthy diet actually was? Because I find that a lot of people don't know what a healthy diet is. And someone being in the medical profession like yourself, did you actually know what it meant to eat healthy? Heck no, I did not. <laughs> I did not. So this was really all very much self-discovery. Now, I'm not going to not give credit where credit's due. I am, um, shocker, shocker, a podcast junkie. And I learned a ton from particular people, even six, seven years ago, doing kind of, a, you know, the birth of the podcast, basically. They were, they were, you know, pretty much people in their closets talking about what they, they knew about food. But I, I got turned on to functional medicine and, and I just dove into everything and it really made so much sense. And so I feel like what nursing gave me, the platform that nursing gave me is a, is a very good ability to rewind, understand anatomy and physiology, and then bring it up to speed to a way that I can understand it in in the in the optimal functioning of the body but no i our allopathic medicine does not look at how nutrients directly impact in a total way the functioning of the body and its variability from person to person so that so nursing really um it, it in some ways it was a bit of a hindrance because what i learned was not what ultimately i discovered to be true for me I have Dr. Ken Barry on, and one of the things I find with a lot of medical people, and it's changing. I don't want to, to alienate anybody on the podcast, but I feel like it's changing. But there's still some people out there who, because the medical establishment is paying their bills, they they kind of 
turn their ear towards all this information that's coming out that's saying like, hey, you know what, cholesterol, you don't have to really worry about your cholesterol. Uh, Keto diet might not be such a bad diet for people. And I've seen so many people who have who've had success with that type of diet. But I still see a lot of the medical establishment who's kind of turning a blind ear to all of this stuff and saying, hey, I'm still going to uh, prescribe my medications and I'm still going to do what I'm doing. All of that other stuff is hogwash. Do you encounter any of that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, I do. And I mostly encounter it, not directly. Well, in in my, so I still practice in an allopathic setting. Mm -hmm. So people eat things that, I really wouldn't even touch. Um, and, and I, you know, I'm not really in, in a powerful position to share that, but also even directly. And I know that this is, um, where a lot of people who are in my position that kind of have this really alternate understanding of food, um, where they really struggle. And that's with, with particularly how my family chooses to go about their own health pursuits, including diet. So, so yes, I do bump up against that a lot. And, um, it's a struggle for me. I, you know, I, at some point I had to light my torch and allow people to anybody who was ready to hear to follow and everybody else can just benefit from the glow until they are ready. But I've used this motto for years. So originally when I um, had my health transformation, primarily what caught people's attention was that I lost a significant amount of weight. And I wasn't even what would be considered overweight. But um, but obviously when, when, you're, when you're hardly overweight and you lose 30 pounds, uh, you know, it's pretty noticeable. So that's really what got people's attention. And people started asking me, what are you doing? What are you doing? And it was pretty straightforward, <laughs> I thought. And um, so I shared with them what I was doing and they either didn't do it. Well, they didn't do it. And so I, um, I started looking at what am I doing that they're not, or is there something I'm doing that they're not? Why are people not necessarily getting the same results or why are they not making choices consistent with what I did, which they don't necessarily have to do, but if they're asking and this is what I did, what, what's between the knowing and the doing? So that was a whole nother, that whole nother football field's worth of, you know, exploration and discovery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you shared two important things that I think is very, it's very important for people to know. And one is I think that we all awaken in our own time. I remember when I first started, I would always push things in people's faces. Oh, you got to do this. You got to, you got to do this. And what I found with that is that it pushed people away because people don't want you to tell them to do anything. And the other thing is uh, people always ask for advice, but only about 1% of them take it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. So I've developed my motto is I will wait for you. So I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I have kind of moved in and out of position of influence where I share what I, what I do and what have you. And I, I've, I've, I've moved away from it just because I wasn't sure it was of value to people, but for, for always, um, people seek it out eventually. So, um, so yeah, my motto is just, I will wait for you. And I, like I said, I, I, my torch is lit and I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to keep learning uh, there's more health to be gained all the time. Uh, you know, all, all, so much of what 
we consider to be normal aging. I don't believe that's true. Now, I do believe we live in a modern world and we are up against some environmental toxins. Uh, you know, it's just and some of it's just ignorance about what is happening when we are in contact with certain things. Um, but, but some of it is really unavoidable. I mean, uh, we are going to be, we are going to consume public water. It's relatively safe. There are some things in it that probably aren't ideal. So there, you know, there are just a variety of things that, that we, that we're, we, we, we want, uh, we want our internet, right? So we aren't going to give up our modern lives, but, uh, there is a way to, uh, have your, have your health and live in the modern world. It's a balance. Do you feel like we, we, we're becoming a bit too constrictive because it, one of the things I kind of battle with, and I don't know if you've ever had this, this thought is that there's so many people out there who are telling us what not to eat that mm -hmm. I, that I feel like it scares people away because most of the time the mentality for a lot of us is that, well, what do I have to give up? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's funny that you asked that because I, I w what I consistently get back from my coaching clients is that what they what they took away from me or from working with me was how to love what you eat and really how to celebrate food. Um, yes. And so I I recognize that a great bit of my success is because I didn't grow up in the kitchen. I didn't I had no clue what I was doing. But, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of not that hard. It would be, and, and by extension of what I do, I'm developing programs where I actually teach people how to cook versus follow a recipe because I don't believe that's sustainable and I don't think it's very joyful either. Um, but I think getting in the kitchen and finding joy in the kitchen and, 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 um, making beautiful, tasty food, like that's part of what has to happen. This is why 1% does it and 99 doesn't because they don't think that they can or that they'll even enjoy it. They, they feel like it's a sacrifice. So I, um, along the way, I, I, I was so astounded by the results that I had. I started looking for, you know, like, what is this? <laughs> what, what is this? That why, why is this working the way it is? And, um, you know, I, I educated myself about what paleo meant. And, you know, frankly, I do eat relatively paleo. Um, and some of who I became exposed to was um, Diane Sanfilippo, huge fan of hers. She does a 21 day sugar detox, learned so much from she and Liz Wolf, great fans of theirs and um, great fan uh, of Chris Presser from the paleo cure. Is Diane uh, still out there? Cause I Diane haven't... is still out there. She okay. is. Okay. Yeah. I haven't, I tried to get her on one time and I, it was, this was like a year or so ago. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't see her anymore. I think she went on like a hiatus or so. Maybe she was just working on something, but. I Possibly. Um, I, I think they stopped their podcast. She and Liz mm -hmm. stopped their podcast, but, um, which at the time was a huge source of information for me. She does a 21 day sugar detox. And then of course I became familiar with, um, whole 30 and, uh, in, in an effort to attempt to, gain tools to help people who were yeah. asking for help. Let me, let me back up with that because yeah. that's, uh, I think Melissa Hartwig and Dallas mm -hmm. Hartwig's program. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. How did you, 
what gravitated you towards that besides well, other other stuff like functional diagnostic nutrition or something like that what gravitated you more to that type of nutritional program versus the others that might be out there yeah um so primarily what i determined was that i really ate very in line already with whole 30 and it had a a, a good enough notoriety that people were familiar with it and uh, but i really liked that I wanted to dip my toe in something very structured. What I found was when I worked with people and gave them options, they didn't necessarily do the harder option. <laughs> and Whole30 doesn't give options, basically. Um, so, so I really do like Whole30 as a framework, but I, Going back to, you know, are we getting too restrictive? Are there too many no's, too many no's, too many no's? I do think there are too many no's. And ultimately for me, uh, Whole30, while I think it's wonderful, and I, do, I would never discourage anybody from doing anything like Whole30, the 21-day sugar detox, any of it I think is, um, is information for you. But I don't feel like it's the long-term solution. And I feel like I've found a long-term solution. I've found a way to nourish myself, have excellent health, feel very connected and plugged in and, and, uh, and responsible, not just responsible for myself, my family, what we're eating, but also how what we're eating impacts the environment and, and beyond. So, um, you know, it would just, it's a full picture for me. And I felt like Whole30, and again, I never want to discourage somebody from doing such a thing, but I feel like it's very rules oriented and people lean on the rules and I don't, and I want to teach sustainability. And I know that Melissa does too. Like that's not, you know, Whole30 is, she's very clear about the limitations of Whole30 and that Whole30 is not meant to be a way of eating. It is meant to be a reset. Um, so now saying, do you feel as though because we have the cycle of really not knowing how to eat healthy, that when we are kind of, I don't want to say forced, <laughs> but <laughs> for, for most people, they get to a point where they have to make a change. So it's like a forced change to eat better foods. Do you feel like that's the thing that's really preventing people from gravitating towards something like a whole food or a paleo diet? I do. I think people don't have enough information to feel empowered to to develop their own nourishing, sustainable diet. I, I, we, they just don't know. And, um, and so they do depend on something that has rules in place. And I don't know that I think that's necessarily a, a bad thing. I think there's a lot of, I don't, people who walk away from some type of dietary reset like that, always walk away with information, but I don't know if they walk away with tools for the long haul. Um, so it really, it is though, it is part of what we're, is going to be required for us to transform uh, healthcare, which is, you know, obviously not sustainable the way that it is. Um, part of what is going to have to happen is for individuals to take more personal accountability and and kind and kind of do the hard thing and maybe you know 
maybe um, use some emotional maturity and not consider it hard, but really shift your thinking about it and look at how the benefits you're getting from it. So that's another thing that I really work with my clients to be very conscientious of their limiting beliefs and the stories that they're telling themselves. Unpack those, see those, unpack them, and begin to shift them. What because are, ultimately, yeah. Yeah, I was saying, what are some of those, what are some of those uh, stories that they tell themselves? What are some of those limiting beliefs behind changing their dietary habits? And I would imagine that you're working with people who are overweight as well. And it should, uh, I would imagine again, that there are a lot of stories behind that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I do often work with people who are overweight. And so the tough sell there is please trust me to focus on improving your health and let the weight loss follow. But we've been taught, so their, their, their limiting belief is that weight loss is reflective of health. But really, let me take that back. I don't think I said that the right way. They, they, our, our perception, culturally, our perception is that if somebody is, is of a normal weight or less, that they're healthy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and my experience is that as you improve your health, your weight normalizes and it's really, it's, it's about an effort towards health, improving your health and then allowing the weight loss to follow. So uh, I had a, I had a, I love this story. It's a beautiful story. It just happened yesterday. Uh, I was um, on a coaching call with a client and she told me that she actually came to uh, me without necessarily the intention of losing weight. She had, you know, some, bondage to certain food types of, ex- of experiences going on and a couple health concerns and just had always wanted to clean up her diet a whole lot. And she'd been listening to me for quite some time and she knew I was the gal. And so she came to me. And so we've been working together for a couple weeks now. And she said yesterday in a call that um, she was, she, she hated that she was going to have to tell me that she had gained a few pounds And I said, you did? And she said, well, I actually didn't. She said, I thought I did. And I don't really know why I thought I did because my clothes weren't fitting tighter or anything. But I got on the scale and I had lost several pounds. And I said, why did you think that you had gained weight? And she said, at first I didn't know. And then it hit me that I haven't been hungry. So in her mind, if she because she hadn't been hungry, there was no possible way that she even maintained her weight, let alone lost weight. But we've been focusing on improving her health, and by and large, she's lost a couple pounds. So that belief that you have to be hungry to lose weight, it's not really true. Uh, the belief that a reward, a, a, a food reward is actually a reward. That's not necessarily true. There are many ways we can reward ourselves that don't require food. Um, the, the belief that we uh, consume alcohol and as a celebratory drink, maybe we do, but we don't, do we have to? Do we have other options? So just looking at the things we do that might not be serving us well 
and looking for opportunities to shift how we think about that. Yeah, I think it's more detrimental to us when we when we uh, kind of what I would call say something like this. Um, oh, I shouldn't be eating this, and then you eat it. Right. <laughs> so right. You, right. Yeah, I think it's more beneficial as you say, hey, you know what? Because I've done that before. I sit down and say, you know what? I want some ice cream. And I don't do um, milk ice cream. I'll do like cashew ice cream. And I'll just say, you know, I'm just going to enjoy this. It's just, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm going to enjoy it. And mm -hmm. I feel like I'm a little bit more in tune and in harmony with my body. Then I'm not fighting my body when I say, hey, I can't, I can't eat this. I shouldn't be eating this. And I find that a lot, especially... Uh, I hear people say that a lot at like gatherings. Like, oh, mm -hmm. I know I shouldn't be there. It actually happened today. I was sitting in a meeting room at work and uh, my boss brought in some carrot cake Oreo cookies, which I don't eat. And mm -hmm. one of the girls that was sitting beside me, I pushed the cookies toward her. She had already eaten one. She's like, no, no, I can't eat another one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, and I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, hey, you might as well just eat it and enjoy right, it. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. So I tell my coaching clients that it's, they really do, do need to do the work to determine if there are any foods that are never foods for them. And so obviously for me, that's gluten, right? I mean, I've, I've already been clear about that. So gluten foods are always a never for me. But what I tell my clients is within your full allowance of what you eat, only ever eat what you plan to eat. Never eat something you don't plan to eat. So if you plan to eat your ice cream, then eat your ice cream. But if you're presented with the opportunity and you have not decided ahead of time, then you're not really a reliable decision maker at that point necessarily. So I don't like, I'm, I'm with you. I think that it's, it's, there's, it's not inappropriate to ha have a pleasure food. There's nothing wrong with that. I, there is something wrong with it when it becomes detrimental to our health. Um, and, but I, as, I, I feel like as long as we're super conscious about it, then, and it's not sabotaging our health that, uh, that, but yes. So another thing that I teach my coaching clients to do is use a visioning process. So in the morning or even the night before, both ideally, Imagine yourself because one of one of the um, you know one of the requirements is to plan ahead. So one of those shifts in in thinking is is we t we are typically planning basically one meal ahead, and that we the meals come at you really fast. When you're eating real food, meals come at you really fast. So it really is a much much better plan. There's much much more efficiency opportunities if you're thinking two, three, even four days in advance, particularly early on when you're shifting from packaged foods to preparing your own foods. So ideally, you know uh, at, at least a day in advance what you're going to eat the next day. So use the opportunity to build into your subconscious mind your success. So seeing yourself preparing, eating, enjoying, benefiting from exactly what you plan to eat for the day ahead of time. So not only does that take away any decision fatigue, it's already, you've already decided, but you're embedding the success in your subconscious mind. So something we don't use often enough is our, the power of our subconscious mind. Uh, so this is an opportunity to lay down those tracks 
and then just fill them in the next day. Yeah. A lot of this thing is just, just working with your mind because I find that I know from my own personal experience, like my whole thing at one point in time before I started to get on the track of being more healthy was every time I sat in front of the TV to watch something, I always had to have a bag of M&Ms and it was like a habit. Mm-hmm. And I broke slowly over time. I broke myself out of that habit and the habit of drinking soda. Now I drink much more, you know, more water. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's to me, it's just a thing of kind of breaking those habits that we have. Um, I was reading, <laughs> reading something on your blog and, mm-hmm. um, and you can finish your thought there, but I just want to kind of get this in reading something on your blog where you were talking about, uh, sometimes the baby steps when, when changing your nutrition, are you a proponent of baby steps or are you saying that to an extent that for someone who's had a health crisis, would it be more no baby steps? We need to change this now. Or is it, Hey, you need to start doing these little things to change over time. I guess it's like, just like a one extreme or, or the other. Yeah, that's such a tough question. I mean, I love that food is so powerful that you can have a a very notable experience in changing your food. And I, I don't want people to miss that. I really want that for people. But I also want them to do something. And if they if they don't do something, and if they're a baby stepper, and they don't do something, then they may never do it. So I, yeah, I struggle with the actual answer to that. I think it's really individual. And we have such a reductionist way of thinking about food and health. And, you know, we all want a soundbite answer. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's not really a soundbite answer to that. I, I, I am a proponent of people doing it any way they will do it. So, you know, the best exercise for you is the one you'll do. So, I I don't, and I think that's probably true when it comes to changing your food. Ultimately, I do wish for people to make major changes and reap the benefits of that very, very notable difference. Um, but I I am never going to be the one to say, well, if you don't, if if all you're willing to do is baby steps and forget about it. Yeah, um, I'm with you on that because I think. <laughs> I wouldn't wish what I went through on anyone because I tried to make every uh, the changes so suddenly, but mm-hmm. I didn't. Have, I don't think I was in a health crisis where I just had to to do it suddenly. But mm-hmm. I wanted to do it suddenly because I had so much uh, literature around me telling me to do this and do that, and I just started to do everything at one time. And to be honest with you, I felt very, very overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. It is over. It is overwhelming, and I recognize that, and that's why I I, I don't want to I don't want to tell people to not baby step it. Um, and I think too that we can we can negate some of the benefit by by being so overwhelmed. We we really can. So uh, and, and then the flip side of that is you know are people going to see enough benefit from because frankly, even baby steps are really hard for people. They, they, they're pretty dramatic changes, even the baby steps. So, um, so, you know, when I say baby steps, I, and, and I say number one, remove sugar and people are 
that's a big deal for most people. They really don't understand how much sugar is in their diet. So while, you know, while I might call that a baby step, the reality is that's enormous for some people. And, and, and even that can be quite overwhelming. So going back to the medical profession, I know that I saw your, your, your pictures on Facebook and I know that you you did a, a drastic change. You went from you know, being a certain weight to a certain size, and you look great right now. Um, for the medical establishment, I know when I was calling on doctors in that and, and being in that arena, I saw, you know, doctors that were overweight. Do mm-hmm. you feel as if if doctors and nurses kind of practice what they preach, would it be easier for patient to come in and they're telling the patient, hey, you need to change your diet. Hey, you need to do this. But yet my doctor's overweight, my nurse is overweight, and they're trying to yeah. tell me what to do. Do you feel as though if the medical examiner kind of practice what it preached, so to speak, that it would make it easier for them to convince patients to start, you know, eating different foods and watching their weight? Uh, absolutely. I, I don't think that I, I don't I, the only way, I mean and the only way to convince anyone really to truly buy into what you believe is to, to just lead by example. So we can't walk into patients' rooms and tell them to do things that we're, un, that we're either unwilling or not doing ourselves. So, um, yeah, I, I do think that it, it's, it, it's really going to require an enormous shift. But I can also tell you that I work in an allopathic medical setting and food has very in a setting that um, that you would think that it would matter. And food has really almost no importance in in these people's health conditions. So it's a um, I don't know. It, 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 it again, I'm kind of uh, like that's really they're almost separate lives for me. Um, and I I would love to understand how to over time marry those better. But for now, uh, that it, that's a really disempowering uh, environment for 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 me to shine my torch. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's a, it's terribly unfortunate, and I just don't understand how it's sustainable. I I really not that I want us to be in crisis, but I do I do hope that we're really close to the breaking point, and whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And there are certainly you know, there's there's a, a a powerful movement going on um, in in efforts to establish a different model for healthcare, but it's it's there's an enormous system built around sickness. I really I don't know how that would look with a with a massive shift towards being well versus managing symptoms. Right. Have you gotten any flack for what you do? Uh no, I haven't. Um I it's interesting. My my coworkers are obviously interested and but none of them do it. And, and I just keep hearing the same old dogma, you know, eat less, exercise more, which I would, I will point out that at the time that I, that, that I 
that that I changed my body with food. I I was I was like you. I felt like I was super overwhelmed with so much going on. Plus, I was up against a health crisis, and it I, I was feeling as though um, I was potentially not adrenally healthy. And so I I I gave up uh, uh, exercise. You know, I I didn't quit moving my body, but I definitely quit anything very aggressive. So so it it was so that paradigm is wrong that eat less, exercise more, that paradigm is wrong, but it's just amazing that people still believe it. So people look at me and make assumptions that I am a runner and that I'm vegan. (laughs) (laughs) And neither of them could be further from the truth, but, um, but that is, that just is a testimony to what the, the dogma is driving into people. So it's a, it's, it's, you know, my little torch is just my little torch and, and, uh, it's, it's, a not necessarily of, of enormous benefit in my, in my nursing career right now. I, 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 I'm still hopeful for the day, but, uh, right now that's, that's not really, it's still a very disempowering message in that, in the allopathic healthcare setting. Yeah, well, I mean, at least you're you're helping the people that are awakened and want to, you know, want to be helped. Yeah. And uh, I think, like you said before, a lot of things are changing with um, the medical establishment. You see a lot of doctors that are coming forward right now and saying, hey, this is not right. And they're receiving a lot of flack for it, but they mm-hmm. know that the stuff that they've been taught over the years is not right because obviously they're doing, they're seeing the test. They're seeing the the patients come in and they're like, okay, you're telling me to eat this, but I'm eating this and nothing's happening or they're getting worse. Right. Yeah. And what the what now people are eating a strictly carnivore diet and having improved health. So Mm -hmm. clearly there are some things we don't yet know (laughs) and, um, and some things that we've definitely gotten wrong. Yeah. You you mentioned whole 30. What, are some of the foods that someone might eat on this whole 30 on this whole 30 diet that you are uh, recommending? So it, it is intended to be basically whole foods. So uh, specifically a lot of vegetables, use your vegetables as carriers for healthy fats and a moderate amount of protein and don't shy away from animal fats. So there's a, um, so I don't specifically necessarily promote Whole30 when I individually coach people, but uh, but I definitely use it as a framework and a template. And there is a um, it's a wonderful meal planning template that Whole30 uses, and I am a, a huge fan of it. A huge fan. It helps people establish proportions of macronutrients without counting them because I don't think you need to. Um, but but you know, kind of wrap your brain around what. A balanced meal looks like something else that Whole30 does, and I'm a I'm a huge fan of it. And that is it discourages snacking. So if you are hungry between meals, then there's information to be gained about your prior meal. So that's not to say that there won't be some isolated incident where, for whatever reason, you have a, you know kind of a your metabolism is ramped up for the day and you kind of have that bottomless pit kind of day. Although it's pretty rare for me these days, but, um, you know, there is a rare occasion where I, I, I feel like I would, I need to have a snack. What whole 30 recommends and what I recommend too, is that if you absolutely feel like you need to have a snack, 
then you have what's considered a mini meal. So same foods, just smaller amounts, but in the same proportions. So it kind of takes that off the table. If you're not hungry enough to eat, you know, something relatively bland, then you're probably not hungry. So, you know, looking for those, what's the story? What am I believing? What am I telling myself? And, and um, you know, uncovering that subconscious drive, if that's it. I mean, it might be that you need some food. It, it might be. But I think, by and large, we're, we're pretty disconnected from that kind of mind-body awareness. So developing that is hugely important um, because there, there's also this phenomenon in Whole30 that hunger is not an emergency. <laughs> it actually is very unlikely to kill any of us anytime soon. So learning to allow it um, and also, and here's one thing that I think is huge that people that have not yet experienced it are missing. And that is when you shift from being what's considered a sugar burner, which most of us are, if we're eating the standard American diet, it's high in carbohydrates and that includes our healthy whole grains, our beans, our right? That includes all of those that are primarily sources of carbohydrate to the body. We're, we, we're, we're so commonly uh, feeding our bloodstream with a steady supply of glucose that we don't ever challenge our body to access stored fat for fuel. So we experience these fluctuations in insulin and glucose that, we, um, that, that translate to us as hunger. And, uh, and it's a more complicated. There are other hormones, leptin and ghrelin, and, and that get very imbalanced when, we, um, when we're not metabolically flexible. Uh, but the signal that we get is so much more urgent, and it creates that hangry when we are primarily carb burners. So it does serve us well to have potentially fewer meals better balanced meals, lower carbohydrate, which by default, if you're eating a, an unprocessed, unpackaged, whole foods diet, by default, unless you're eating a ton of starchy vegetables, by default, it's a, it's a, it's a low carbohydrate diet. It, and, and, uh, and, and likely, not likely, very, very likely, Ancestrally, that's how the human body evolved, was on a real, pretty high-fat, moderate-protein, low-carbohydrate diet. Do you think the meal frequency, the frequency of eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner kind of starts that cascade in us where we have to eat all, a lot throughout the day? So I don't know if there's um, one single answer for, for this that, that might be... Um, a reductional thought process that, that may be true for some people and not for others, but it does seem like that hormonally um, it is a, it, it does um, kind of initiate uh, this, this fluctuation that is probably not consistent with how the human body optimally functions. So I do hear that frequently and that's in my experience as well. I'm, I'm much better off delaying, my first meal. I'm not even really interested in it. Same as you. I was, you know, I, I, I didn't know any better and believe that breakfast was the most important meal in the day. Turns out breakfast is one of the most carbohydrate laden meals of the day mm -hmm. if you're not careful. Um, so it could be that it's, it's that, 
Um, but there's probably also, so there's probably some hormonal physiological component, but there is likely a, a psychological component as well to that constant feeding, you know, re- putting something in your mouth, requiring just that stimulation uh, and that, that we could potentially really challenge and do a lot better um, and have a better outcome. Yeah. Um, going back to, I, I wanted to ask you this because I know you mentioned before we even got on the podcast that you were probably in like a clinical background uh, mm-hmm. at one point. I, I seem to think that there are a lot of emphasis being placed on studies and I'm not a big fan of studies because I know from my my whole experience of using them that another company that I was uh, pitted against for pharmaceuticals could come in with a different study and saying saying my drug was not you know was not the drug of choice. And I feel as though we place a lot of emphasis on studies, but to me it's kind of like a double edged sword. You have people who are on could be on a whole 30 diet or a keto diet or paleo or whatever it is. And it's doing them a lot of good. And then you have what you would see as someone comes out with a study and said, Oh, if you're on a long-term paleo diet or a long-term keto diet, then it's not good for you. But meanwhile, the results that these people are getting are nothing more, nothing short of astounding. Right. Right. Yeah. And, but you have people who are, who will look at someone and, and I just think that we have different motives behind things. And when you look at one of the things that I've always looked at is like, who's behind the study? You know, mm-hmm. what, yeah. what do they have to gain? What do they have yeah. to do? But I wanted you to speak a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so that, I do think that there's, a, there are several things there. One is that not all studies are designed equally. A lot of what we look at, particularly for nutrition is epidemiological and um, so that's while that's not necessarily nothing for nothing, um, a study design, you can particularly in the day, this day and age with the Internet, if you want to find something, you can. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it's, it's not necessarily and I don't want to, you know, I think science is is valuable um, and I think there's information to be gained, but it's also um, very subject to its design. And, and, and bias, it's, it's not possible to take out bias, um, even in placebo controlled, um, how you, how you can, how and randomized placebo controlled, even in that, you know, how you statistically, um, draw conclusions is, you know, it, it's, it's up to a writer. So, uh, who, again, you know, where their interest is, you have to look at that. So, um. So kudos to really to Chris Kretzer for being the one to say, wait, time out. All these studies need to be evaluated for not only who's behind them, but their worth and their design. Um, and then also look at them for, you know, how well, inherently nutritional studies are difficult because there are so many confounding variables. It's very, very difficult to isolate nutrition. When, um, when there are frankly other pillars of health that are going to change your outcome, uh, you know, arguably anybody in this space arguably would put sleep above food. So if you're not sleeping, then it kind of doesn't matter what you eat and and not, I mean, probably some, but really sleep is 
far more important than food. So there are all kinds of things that, that change outcomes that are variables that aren't measurable in nutritional studies. So, and most nutritional studies are not necessarily evaluating um, the same qualities of the same food. So there's that. But really what I feel like the detriment done is that it takes away, again, that personal accountability. So for each person to plug into what they're eating, make that mind-body connection, explore, learn, take responsibility for your own health. When you're, when you're, you know, looking for a, a study to validate, you know, what you think might be, you know, the, the next perfect pill or in our house, we call it magic Monday. Like for some reason, Monday is going to be different. Um, you know, it's, you, you've found the magic pill. Um, and, and, and that's really, that's never going to be the case for, for anybody. Like, like we've talked about, there are people doing keto. There are people doing car- carnivore diets. There are people who are eating vegan diets. There are people who are eating vegan diets that are doing quite well. There are people who aren't eating any vegetables, no plants and doing quite well. So it, it is really, it's, it's almost for me, I feel like it's just not, not taking personal accountability when, when we are depending on a scientific study. Again, I don't want to negate the science. I think it's all information, but it's, it doesn't hold all the answers for any one person. Yeah. Do you feel like we are making the shift? Are we from more of a sickness model to a more preventative model when it comes to health? In, in the medical, in the medical field, because you're out there every day and you're yeah. seeing this stuff. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't. I wish, and I, and I, I wish with all my being that I had a different answer to that, but I don't. Yeah. Is that because of, I, I know there's a lot of intricacies with everything with insurance and all this other stuff, but do you, you, you think that, and this is a tough question, but, mm-hmm. uh, do you think that we're just too ingrained in the old system to make the shift to a newer model? Uh, possibly. Um, you know, uh, there, like I said, we have built enormous systems mm-hmm. around the way we currently deliver healthcare. And so, even if we had a massive awakening and we all woke up tomorrow and we're like, oh my gosh, what we're doing doesn't work. To undo and redo, I, 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 um, that's, that's a big task. Um, and, you know, I, I've had, how I go about my life is quite a bit different than it previously was. In more ways than one, um, I think parenting adopted children just kind of it'll 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 change everything. I mean, parenting in general changes everything, but parenting kids you don't know that come from trauma backgrounds. I mean, I really had to open my mind, and I really recognized that people don't see the facts; they see through their own lens. 
Mm-hmm. There really aren't any facts. Everything is how you see it through your lens. Right. And I, 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 I still feel like the pervasive lens is a default to really that old school um, physician powered mentality. Uh, there's still way too many people that are defaulting all of their power to a physician who was really trained to prescribe medicine. I mean, not that the surgeons are trained to do surgery, but sometimes if we changed our diet, we wouldn't even need the surgery, but we're not trained in that. So I, I don't personally have enough experience with millennials and younger to know if there's, uh, um, a shift in thinking if there's a, if there's a shift in personal accountability, I do have teenagers and I don't see, but I just don't think you can, <laughs> I don't think you should judge teenagers. I don't think they're thinking right. So I don't know that we could, that we can use them as a marker. If we could, then we're in trouble because what they're eating is atrocious. Um, in, in my experience, what I see my children's peers eating is is not is not going to get shift us in the right direction. Um, so hopefully, in this millennial age group, which unfortunately they are developing disease at younger ages than the Gen Xers did. So you know, I don't. That's unfortunate. But maybe they're maybe they're going to lead this movement. I would love to know how to shift it because it is, it's truly feels like, um, it feels so big. And I really, you know, I, I would love to know how to shift it. I, I, I really think we are with people like you that, that are coming out of the medical profession and saying, because I think from an early age, we are conditioned to believe Doctors are in white coats. Doctors are there to fix us from the sickness. But people like yourself who are stepping from behind the white coats and in the medical establishment are saying, okay, hold up, wait, we need to start shifting this. We need to start talking about people who we, and I see a lot of these folks. I interview them. I went to a low carb, uh, uh, low carb conference earlier this year in January. And I saw a lot, a lot of the people that were there were people in the health profession. A lot of people that were speaking were doctors. And people mm-hmm. like yourself who are coming from under the veil and saying, hey, wait, we need to start yeah. changing this stuff and we need to start telling patients it's all about you know, what you're eating. Um, That's but- wonderful to hear. And um, and it is a risk. We do take a risk because we mm-hmm. aren't we aren't aligned with the guidelines and it is a risk for licensed personnel. So, yeah, and, but it, it is a risk that I'm I'm willing to take and I'm willing to con- continue to develop my voice in the way that's most meaningful. And I, I really think for me, I had to, um, I had to, I had to recognize that that's just going to take time. It, it really is just going to take time. And, 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 um, so it, I, I think it's more dire. I think it should, I think the time that it's going to take is longer than we actually have. There's, there's, um, a significant amount of unnecessary suffering, but I, yeah, as long as we're moving the needle, what else can you do, right? I mean, you just keep doing what you what you can do. Yeah, I don't think I, I think that it's 
it's kind of like a 50-50 thing. I think it's people like you who are coming forward, but I also think it takes a shift in perception from the patient. Like you said, you know, don't put all your uh, eggs in the basket and expect for the doctor to take care of everything. You're supposed to partner up with the doctor or partner up with who you're working with and take responsibility for your own health and work it that way. But I think there needs to be a shift from the patient perspective as well because a lot of people just go to the doctor and say, hey, the doctor's going to fix me. And then right. when it doesn't happen for them, then they go from that doctor to another doctor to another doctor, mm-hmm. and they start that whole circle of uh, sickness. And mm-hmm. then they're like, oh, well, the medical medical establishment can't do anything, can't do anything for me. But yeah. thank you. I would love to see people um, waking up to the medical establishment doesn't offer me solutions. And there are solutions available. Um, But again, that's going to take a a certain amount of personal accountability. And one thing that I think has to happen. So the food, our food system, our food supply, because it's so highly processed um, and not even necessarily very much of it being real food, it's very hyper palatable. And that's a tough battle to fight. It really, it's, it's, it is so, um, it's 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 almost like it's a drug um and the brain processes it quite addictively and i i think shifting away from as much processed foods as we can it's it's going to be required i i don't i don't know many people who can walk that line of eating junk in moderation I don't think anyone can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I mean, there can. might be somebody because I have, I've learned nothing at all. It is that there's at least somebody who's going to prove me wrong, no matter what I say. Um, but yeah, it, it is, it's a, it's, it's very, very difficult. And, um, but, and so many people feel when you're in the spiral of the bondage to that food, it's impossible to imagine anything else unless you've experienced it. My, my final question um, for you is because I know that you're actually out there working with people and you're doing it mm-hmm. is how much what percentage of the time are you working with a person's mindset versus working with the physical of changing changing the diet what percentages mm-hmm. would you say that is I would say that about 25% of it is changing the diet and uh, 75% is a mindset mm-hmm. yeah And that's a, and that's the longer term, you know, setting people up for how do I embed these choices, these health choices as habit so that when my primary attention is not this, it's something else that this is just what I do by default. So for me, I used to be a stress eater. I changed that. Um, when now, when I am under stress, I still my default is to, to be sure that I nourish my body. And sometimes I can, I can skip a meal and that's fine uh, and, and not do any harm, but I'm not a stress eater anymore. So by default now, I don't lean on food as my emotional sap in, in difficult times. So it, that was a shift over time. And I had to recognize the stories I was telling myself and find a way to shift that energy, to shift that energy, to shift that energy. And, and I do, and I teach people to do that even in their kitchen. 
So what are what story are you telling yourself when you're standing in your kitchen chopping these vegetables? Are you aggravated because you would prefer to be sitting on the couch with a glass of wine? Um, so notice, because a lot of people don't notice that they're having that thought. Challenge the thought. Let it go. So accept it and let it go. Let it be what it is. And gradually begin to shift it to... I'm nourishing myself. It's a privilege to have access to this food. Um, it, it's, it's a privilege to know what to do. For so long I was confused and now I know what to do. It's a privilege to have the resources. It's a privilege to be in a place where I can easily get these foods. I know what to do with them. All the things. And they're a beautiful color. Whatever you can do to shift that energy from the story. But there is a lot of mental work and we're just not how to plug into our subconscious beliefs what we've been what we've told ourselves over and over and over yeah and a lot of people are just into the physical and when the physical doesn't work <laughs> there they don't rely on doing doing the mental work but and that's really the, that's where the long-term solution is yeah and that's where it always is and i i but there's so much power in it. There's so much good in it. The food is delicious. Once you shift your taste, taste buds away from the junk and onto real food, it's it's beautiful. Yeah, I would agree with you. <laughs> Andrea, thank you so much for being on. I really I thoroughly enjoyed the podcast. I know that you have a site, and I know that if people <laughs> are listening to this, they may want to read it, reach out and work with you. What is the name of your site? Absolutely. Excuse me. Ooh, all right, got me some water. Sorry about that. Yeah, um, yeah I wore it out, didn't I? So, yes, absolutely. Find me at, um, I'm on Facebook, Vibrant Health RN. I'm on, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Instagram, also Vibrant Health RN. Mostly where I'm active, Instagram and um, Facebook. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm going to repeat it. Yes, please find me on the webs. I'm in um I'm on Instagram at Vibrant Health RN. I'm on Facebook at Vibrant Health RN. Post there <clears throat> several times a day, usually. Try to keep that active and going. And then also at VibrantHealthRN.com. And that's where you'll find how you can work with me personally. And um, a lot of what I'm doing, is, a lot of the exciting stuff that I'm doing is in my community. And I feel like uh, that's really where change happens. I think that if it was never more obvious in my life before, during this last election cycle, it became evident to me that my power is at my local level. And that also proved to be true with food and, and how to influence um, people's health. So I'm doing a lot of um, really fun stuff in my community. And one of those being working with a local chef at a local restaurant that's farm to table and developing a... Um, series of cooking classes so that's to come as well and that'll be when that's available that'll be on my website and hang out great stuff that you're doing andrew thank Thank you so much for being on perfectly healthy tone radio thank you darren my honor i appreciate it judy was boring hello then judy discovered chumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy (laughs) 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.